Thank you to Exoskin. If you haven't tried them, feel free to use my promo code T, the number 4U20 for 20% off. They make socks, calf sleeves, high-quality base layers with patented fiber technology that provides superior protection against chafing, blisters, hot spots, and most importantly, odor. But they are looking for ambassadors, so check out their website if you're looking for an ambassadorship. Big thank you to our newest supporter, Ultimate Direction. Excited to use their packs throughout all of 2019. Excited to tell you, you know, what pack I really like and what I'm using throughout the year. Big thank you to Hammer Nutrition. I know I'll be using a lot of their gels and Perpetuum and Recoverite throughout 2019. Also their Fizz. And yeah, if you haven't tried Hammer, feel free to use my promo code. It is 252888 and you'll save 15% off your first order. Big thank you to Destination Trail. Really like what they're doing. Candace Burt and her team enjoyed their Moab 240 race. I'm going to do the triple here soon, but they have a variety of races that you guys definitely need to check out if you have some free time. And lastly, thank you to Sufferfest Beer. Beer with benefits. I know I'm willing to sweat for this beer, that's for sure. But they have a, a big variety. So if you haven't tried out the Taper, the Repeat, the Shakeout, FKT, and Flyby, give them a shot. Definitely try them out. It's just a good tasting beer. Welcome to Training for Ultra, the podcast. probably haven't heard of the name Kalo Littlejohn, but I think you'll take something away from this interview. He's overcome so much to get to where he is today, which is, you know, phenomenal. And I think his future's bright, but I had to hear more about his story. And part of this, I just selfishly relate to anyone who's done the Moab 240, but I knew how difficult it was for me, and I've I've been training for ultras for years now. Um, Kalo hasn't been running distance at all. Like, really, I think except for last year was the first year he went for it. So I had to find out more. Initially, I heard about how volunteers were, you know, so inspired that this this young guy was finishing out the Moab 240, like, basically fighting cutoffs. I I just had to hear the story for myself. I wasn't sure if anyone would dig into this. And knowing Kalo now, (laughs) you know, he'll be on to the next thing here shortly. So I really wanted to take time and be able to kind of let him reflect. And, you know, it's not advised to, to just go for something like the Moab 240 with almost no training. Um, Less than a year is really pushing the envelope. I think... As you'll hear, it wasn't the most pleasant, you know, experience for him, but he managed to finish it, which I'm just very impressed at the mental strength and wherewithal to do that. So this should be a great episode. Thank you again to the Patreon supporters. You guys make this all work. I really enjoy those closed Facebook group conversations and questions and virtual group runs. You guys are awesome. And we got some exciting episodes i have i had this concept with uh, maggie guterol a few episodes ago to 
do charity episodes. So we planned out two awesome episodes that raised almost a thousand dollars for charity. So these should be very entertaining. I mean, we have Amelia Boone coming on. I've already marked that episode explicit um, based upon what she wants to do there, rap wise. <laughs> totally kidding. And then Courtney DeWalter um, is going to do another episode, and I think there actually might be more rap involved there. So these these will be two super fun episodes. Uh, the The winner of the charity bidding is going to be on the episode. Maggie's going to be on them too. So they'll definitely be entertaining, fun, and hopefully we can learn something too while we uh, go through it. So enjoy this episode. Don't forget to enjoy your training. I'm joined here by Kalo Littlejohn. He is becoming an accomplished ultra runner. He just finished the Moab 240 this year, and uh, he's overcome a lot. I really find his story inspiring, and Kalo, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Rob. So I watched your TED Talk. There's not many people that I've interviewed that have done a TED Talk. I think it's cool of you. I mean, how'd that transpire, and I'm, I'm just fascinated at those. <laughs> Well, I was training for the Moab 240, and uh, I was trying to raise money for a charity called Ethne International, and I pretty much, my goal was to get as much uh, press from the news people or any kind of online source as possible. Um, so I just sent them a, a message on Facebook, hey, uh, my name's Kill Little John, I'm from Camden, Maine, I have this story of uh, from coming, going from a special ed student to an Ivy League ultra runner. And uh, I want to share it. And I think they really connected with it just because, well, I think the story, they like the story, but also um, the fact that I was from the area, I was from Maine, uh, kind of caught their attention. And that's where the event was held. And they thought about it over a week and uh, got back to me and set it up from there. I think it's it's a cool video. I'll, I'll you know, put a link in the show notes if the listener wants to check it out. It's It's definitely worth your time. Um, so, I mean, starting off just with how you, I mean, you mentioned like being a special ed student, like walk me through like those early years. I mean, it sounds like it was not an easy time in your life. Um, and you've managed to get into Columbia, which is just phenomenal. Like walk me through that huge transition and, and how you overcame so much. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a it definitely took a while <laughs> to go from um, where I was to getting into Columbia University. But uh, essentially, I, I came up without getting into too much detail. I was very rough home, a lot of bad stuff going on. Um, and because of that, when I was at school, I would act out and I would, I'd be very angry and aggressive. And And I think at the time, the teachers didn't quite understand what was going on. Or if they did, um, they didn't really do much to stop what was going on and um they they kind of put a label on me like okay this guy has this kid has adhd uh he has asperger's um let's put him in special ed so uh, i was kind of i was always putting in these kind of uh, special ed programs where i'd get kicked out of one and move to the next uh and just overall just always feeling like i was left out always feeling like you know, I wasn't enough or something was wrong with me. I was the only black guy uh, in any school I was in. 
there might have been maybe one to two black guys out of all the other kids uh, coming from Camden, Maine. It's statistically the whitest state in America. So that kind of that always kind of made me feel a little odd wherever I was. So um, just a very depressed, nervous, anxious, and angry and scared kid. And uh, thankfully, I was able to get get out of the home that I was in, and um, I moved in with my grandmother. And that's where I ran into a mentor uh, by the name of Mitch. And Mitch really taught me um, that you know maybe I'm not so crazy. Maybe maybe I'm just misunderstood and. There's so many ways I could channel this extra energy that I had. Instead of becoming ingra- angry and aggressive and fighting the other kids, you know, I decided, hey, I'm going to start, you know, getting after it and meditating and, and learning and reading and, and trying to improve myself. So I basically took all that extra energy uh, that would have been going towards things that aren't quite as healthy uh, as a euphemism. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I relate a lot yeah. to your story and honestly, my... Uh, early educational years were very, very similar to yours. I mean, I'd say the only difference between us is like I had some of the best parents in the world and they really, really helped me out. But like you, I, I, I've had similar battles um, and getting to school was never about learning. It was like, how am I not going to get made fun of and mm. that sort of thing. So, yeah, I... I definitely relate a lot to your story and i think it's awesome that how, how did you meet mitch how did um because this was this guy definitely you know made a big impression on your life I mean, how did you come across him and how did he you know slowly show you like you know maybe you're just being misunderstood here well my grandmother always as soon as i came there she wanted me to, to join counseling and uh i never liked counseling <laughs> Like every other kid, I was like, no, I don't want to go to counseling. Like, there's no way. Um, and every time I would go to a counselor, I'd never really gel with that counselor. I'd go for one session and that would be it. Um, but when I met Mitch, he was different because he didn't tell me what to do. He didn't say, oh, maybe if you did it this way, it would be different. He just kind of like listened to what we just kind of talked like normal, like me and you were talking kind of like just mm-hmm. like normal people. And uh, he, I, I saw him more as a kind of like a friend mentor rather than like an adult figure telling me you have to follow these rules. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, did you have many friends before Mitch? Uh, well I was in sports, so I had a lot of guys like that I, I played sports with and I had quote unquote friends at the time. Uh, but they weren't really like the best of friends, like kind of friends that make fun of each other type. Yeah. Um, and yeah, not, not really. I was just a very troubled kid. <laughs> I was a very, um, I just always, I always knew I had drive, but I just had no idea what to do with it. And it kind of showed me, you know. And so what lit, uh, uh, lit your fuse with academics? I mean, this must have transpired before high school, I'm assuming. Um, you know, walk me through kind of what sports you were playing in high school and what kind of lit your academic fuse. Because, I mean, getting into Columbia is not easy. <laughs> um, yeah, just walk me through that time period. Well, so it's interesting. I didn't go straight to Columbia. I actually went to the United States Military Academy at first. Okay. And then, 
so I was I played football and I was a wrestler, um, and I was pretty good at it. And at the time, for some reason, I just wanted to go to West Point because I thought, okay, it's hard, <laughs> it's a good challenge, and it's gonna help me out. Um, but then towards the end of high school, when I started, you know, getting more into meditation, and I actually took a ten day vipassana meditation retreat five days before going to boot camp. Um, I I kind of started realizing hmm, maybe maybe this West Point thing isn't cut out. So, but I wanted to give it a try. So I went finished the boot camp. But after the boot camp, I decided, hey, you know, much respect to everybody that serves in the United States military. But I feel that you know I, I'd rather do something more academic, use my smarts. Um, I wanted to use my brain more, and I was really going to West Point for the school and the challenge of it, not really to be in the military. And for me, that's not the right reason to go. So I left, end up going to Northeastern. Um, kind of scrambling, looking for a school to go to, and then as soon as I got to Northeastern, I I liked the school, but I always knew that I wanted more. So after two years, I uh, I just applied to a bunch of schools, and Columbia seemed like the best one, and um, I went with Columbia. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's interesting to me that even with such a, a tough upbringing, that you still had like this drive, like almost an. I mean, it's maybe not natural, but like you're going after difficult things and you don't want the easy route. Um, and so were you running at any point throughout high school and into college or was running like a punishment for your other you know, <laughs> endeavors? There? Well, no. So when I, when I was in high school, I was actually 275 pounds. And I remember very clearly uh, that it was a school trip where it, it, the phys ed teacher took all of us in the class and we were to hike up one mile, one mile of trail. I know you have a very similar story to what I'm about to say, but um, I couldn't do it. I was the only one that couldn't do it. And it was so embarrassing because I had to, you know, people had to, uh, one girl in particular had to stay back with me while everybody else climbed up because I just couldn't make it up the hill. And, uh, you know, so I was never, I was never like a, a natural runner. That, that's the point yeah. of the story. Um, that's so, amazing. Yeah. How, how did you get into getting beyond a mile? I mean, I, I had a background where I previously like played soccer and, you know, I could run beyond a mile at one point and then my fitness just continually got worse and worse and worse to the point where I couldn't run past a mile. Um, how did you go about oh, wow. it? Well, the school Northeastern that I had gone to didn't didn't uh, it didn't offer wrestling, and that was the sport that I really wanted to. I was going to wrestle at West Point, but um, because I left, you know, that didn't work out. So you know, I just I wanted to stay in shape, and I I just I would go on the treadmill. I would never run outside. I would always just run on the treadmill. And one day, I uh, I wondered how fast I could run a mile on the treadmill, and it's not the same as running outside, but I put it on uh, 12 miles an hour and I got a mile in at five minutes. So that really, I never thought that would be even <laughs> close to possible. <laughs> yeah, it's um, faster than I've ever done. Nice. Thank you. It's um, amazing. Yeah, and, and I, I, at that point I'm like, hmm, maybe I could make the track team. And I'm, I'm a pretty big runner, so I always knew I'd never be like an elite runner. But I figured maybe I could be good enough to be on a, a track team, like the Division One team. Uh, and the coach said, hey, you need to get a four-minute and 28-second mile t 
to get on uh, on on my team. Um, and I actually did run, end up running in four minutes, exactly four minutes and 28 seconds. But I was killing myself doing it. And, um, you know, I just, I, I really didn't, I really didn't feel being on the track team. I kind of wanted, I knew I would never become like really, really, really prolific at it. So I just, I, you know, I wasn't really feeling the short distance stuff. Um, but then my friend said, Hey, I'm running this marathon. Uh, do you want to come with me? And I, I just immediately in that moment said yes. And, uh, you know, decided, okay, maybe, maybe track is not for me, but this marathon thing seems pretty cool. So I did a marathon and started learning about hearing Joe Rogan and uh, like Cameron Haynes and David Goggins. I would listen to those kind of, for those who don't know, they're ultra runners. Um, and um, I, it just sounded like the most badass thing ever. So I, I just started signing up for ultra marathons. And so how, how did your first marathon go? And did you do like a stereotypical training plan to get into marathon shape? Yeah, very stereotypical. Uh, probably forty to fifty-five miles a week. I had I was battling plantar fasciitis. Do you, are you familiar? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was hitting me pretty bad. I had to walk two miles of that marathon because of that. Um, but nevertheless, got the job done, and I just immediately said, "Hey, okay, I want to do a hundred-mile run." <laughs> I, I like that logic. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, you can either try to get faster or go farther. I mean, that's pretty yeah. much the two routes. Um, and so what did you choose to build into your 100-mile training? Well, I wasn't really doing it the smart way. I, I kind of just jumped in. So this, this marathon, the first marathon I ran was actually April, the end of April 2018. So I don't really have too much, like, I didn't really have a lot of ultra, well, zero marathon or ultra marathon experience, but I have ran, but but like, it's not the same as you know very clearly. <laughs> um, so I I didn't really have too much time to prepare because the ultra marathon, the hundred mile run was like two weeks later, and I ended up failing that one. Um, Twenty five miles in, I my shoe hit a rock and just ripped my shoe like a giant hole in my shoe and like smashed my foot, and um, that was. It was done right there. Um, so I'm trying to backtrack. When when did you run this marathon? April 2018. April, and then uh, April of yeah. 18. And you you decided to do fast forward October of 18 Moab 240. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. I thought I went for it. <laughs> um, and so your first ultra experience you went for a hundred miler yeah i went for the hundred but i i did not finish that so i um said okay i all right i need to take it down and not just do 50 miles <laughs> so uh three weeks later around three weeks later um i did the north face endurance challenge it's a it's a i think dean carnazes does organizes and helps organize that and he, he has a, he has a good a bunch of 50 50 mile trail races around yeah. like big cities yep. there's one in massachusetts did that one and, and um, yeah. did that go better than the 100 miler yeah for sure yeah definitely i, I finished that race it was the, one of the hardest things i've done um but so a month later you ran a 1335 which i think might be 
right around the fastest. Uh, no, I, I've done 100k that speed, but you started distance running like three months prior. Uh, it's unbelievable how quickly you went for it. I mean, did you have any trepidation going into these races? I mean, these are long races, even within the ultra running world. Going for 100 miles, 50 miles, I mean, it can take years to build up base level fitness. Um, were you apprehensive at all going into this? Yeah, I mean, do you mean for the the Moab or the, the 50 miler? Uh, like the 100 miler, the 50 miler, like all, all your ultras prior to Moab. Yeah, I mean, I've only, I've only actually completed four ultra marathons, one being the Moab, and then, so I did a 50, completed a 50, completed a 100, completed a 50K, and then did the Moab. And I think definitely for the 100 mile and the 50 mile run, and the 100 that I failed, there's definitely, it just seems like ridiculous in my head. Like, what? I, you know, I just heard about this on Joe Rogan and signed up, <laughs> like immediately. <laughs> and then, but now I'm here doing it? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, you can have been an ultra runner for 25 years and run all kinds of races like in Moab 240 is intimidating. I, I'm trying to picture kind of how you mentally approach even signing up for the 240. Like, um, I mean, you accomplished, you know, I'm trying to see here. You did, you did end up doing a hundred miler in July <laughs> of 18. Yep. Um, and then you, you followed it up with a, a 50K in August. Mm -hmm. And so you have three three ultras under your belt. And you started less than, I don't know how many months. You'd been a runner, like an ultra runner. Um, like what's running through your mind when you, you sign up for Moab 240? Like is it... So... Yeah, just, just walk me through it. I'm, I'm fascinated. The way I, the way I like think about it, and I kind of apply this to any anything, whether it be like you know a, a ten day meditation retreat or some kind of experiment, self you know experiment, or 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 applying to like Columbia University or any anything. I as soon as I get the idea in my head, I immediately decide if I'm going to do it. Pretty much. Um, so as soon as I heard, like as soon as I finished the fifty mile run. Um, and I, I started. I heard about you know, the the Moab 240. I just I just immediately was like, all right, I'm signing up for this thing. I'm I'm doing it. Um, and I think that helps. That can be a useful strategy, not for everyone, but for some people to that speed of implementation. You know, not w like waiting, to, not waiting for everything to be right in order to do something. And um, I knew that you know, okay, if I'm going to do this Moab 240, I I you know, I got to get a hundred mile and finish that. <laughs> I can't just go straight to Moab 240. Just go um, straight for the hundred. That's that in itself is awesome. Um, but man, I, I totally relate to you. I mean, in regards to, yeah, I, anytime I get something in my mind, uh, I basically go after it with everything I have. That's I've, awesome. I've truly, I, I feel like I've only failed at, like, maybe one thing my whole life. I mean, are you of the same mind frame? Like, you really haven't failed at much? Well, 
I've definitely failed, um, but people don't see the failures, if that makes sense. People see, okay, you, you finished this crazy race, but, you know, I mean, I failed that 100-mile run, that first thing. I was disappointing, even though I kind of knew, I, all right, maybe I had this coming because <laughs> I didn't really train for it that much. But uh, it's hard to say, you know, like, I started a nootropic company. I uh, I designed this nootropic called Turbo Genius. I actually have it right in front of me. That failed. That company failed. Um, I created a healthcare startup. So I created a software company that basically connects clinical trials to uh, the doctors. And that, that completely failed. Uh, that was a lot of hours down the drain. Um, but people don't see that. People see, oh, Columbia University. But those were important milestones. I mean, yeah, would yeah you, it's hard would, to say. <laughs> would would you be able to reach your important milestones without those failures? Um, I think that's a tough question. I, it, it's hard to dis- It's it's almost like failure didn't really stop me, if that made sense. Like I didn't, like I knew that life is gonna throw punches at you, and no matter what something's going to hit you at some angle. It doesn't matter if you, you're starting from square one or you're one of the best people in the world at what you do. There are always going to be setbacks. And I, it's almost like I had made the decision in my mind that no matter what, I'm going to achieve what I'm after. And any one particular thing that I don't achieve does not really affect the mission of like who I am and like where and like getting after it and like what I want to achieve at life. So if I had, say I hadn't gotten into Columbia... Um, one of the things I put in my application was that you know Columbia is not like a meet, it's not like the end in its of, of itself. If I don't get into Columbia or if I don't get into XYZ school or accomplish XYZ thing, I'm still going to get after it and, and do my best to accomplish the next thing. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, let's let's focus in on Moab. Why why Moab? What did Joe Rogan say that resonated with you to? to get to that point where you went to ultra sign up and signed up for it? Well, so to kind of answer your question, um, I think you're like this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm very into, um, self-development and like improving myself. And I believe you're also somewhat like that as well. Yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, you, you you hear these self-help authors, you know, saying, you know, you can do you can do it, and you can you know create this brand, or you can build this million-dollar company, or you can do X Y Z amazing things. But the, all of these like great aspirations, a lot of them have high barrier to entries. So like, if you want to build a fifty million-dollar company, there are barriers to entry to get into to, to building a fifty million-dollar company, or or there are barriers to entry to like working with the academic. Uh, faculty mentors that you would like to work with. But with Moab, there's a sign-up button. So when I was listening, <laughs> like, you know, you can just sign up directly for this thing. Like, there's no, like, there's nothing stopping. I mean, it does cost some money, but there's relative, nothing. Yeah, relatively yeah. speaking, yeah, there are no barriers to entry. Yeah. So, so I remember thinking, like, I was, I was watching this thing. It was Cameron Haynes in particular. I'm like, wait a minute. I can literally just sign up for this race and do it. <laughs> And at that moment, it's like, oh, okay, like, 
all right, let's do let's do this. Like it just sounded very interesting, and um, I said, all right, screw it, I'm gonna do it. And and also, you know, not just for myself, but to help out some people in Nicaragua, build homes for them. So uh, just. I mean, deep down, are you, are you trying to test yourself? I mean, and if so, like, on what level were you trying to test yourself? I wanted to see, and it sounds so cliche, but I wanted to see, like, what's what's the limit, you know, for me. Um, and I never really heard about ultra marathons before. I didn't really... The only person I've heard of before... Uh, running my first ultra was Gene Carnazes and even him I didn't really like know too much about it I I thought it was just something that you had to be like a complete mega freak um just you know like professional athlete to do but it become very it just seemed like something that it seemed like something almost impossible it seemed like what you know this is this is this can't be and for that reason I I decided, okay, you know, like, let's just try it out and see what happens. It's definitely doable. I I see a lack of fear of failure, which I think it's, it's taken me years to develop just a total lack of fear of failing at stuff. And it seems like that just is part of kind of fundamentally who you are. Like, I mean, I, I admire it quite a bit. And... Thank you, Rob. How how were you feeling in that health check line? You know, you got to you got to show up. I forget what it was, five or six p.m. And then Candace does the race brief. I mean, what what's running through your mind? How are you feeling? Are you nervous as hell? Like, are you shaky? Like, you know, there's experienced runners that have run for decades that are, you know, still nervous uh, going into that race briefing. Like, walk me through how you were feeling. Yeah. You know? just less than 24 hours before the race i was definitely extremely nervous um but i i think i'm i'm very i'm good at calming myself during like very nervous moments Mm -hmm. um and the reason wasn't necessarily the race itself the race itself by itself yes i was nervous for it but it was because i i had done a lot of work to try to get you know interviews and and press to promote the chair this charity and i have a lot of people um tracking me and actually the guy that i'm working with uh his name is tim and he's the guy that he's a speaker coach for the ted talk i remember talking to him very shortly before the race and i told him hey man is it okay if i get my uh my 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 rough draft in a little late like say after the race he's like what do you mean I said, yeah, well, you know, my, my speech might change depending on how, this is a big race, you know, this Moab 240, a lot of people, you know, it's not, it's not like I'm, I'm guaranteed to finish this. I'm definitely not guaranteed to finish. And he said, well, not finish. And I'm like, yeah, it's a hard race. He's like, that's not compelling enough. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, no, you, what do you mean not finish the race? That's not compelling enough. And that, that got it in my head. Like, oh, if I don't finish this race, I might not have a TED talk. <laughs> And a lot of people are going to see me fail. So that made me incredibly nervous. But at the end of the day, I knew, you know, as as, as confident as I can be be sometimes, it was very important to me to stay very rational and because I don't have the same experience. I don't have any experience com- compared to the other ultra runners. So I'm going to have to – the way I'm going to be able to finish this race is by 
making sure I plan everything out beforehand, like have all my drop bags ready and like do as much research as possible to try to overcompensate for that natural intuitive feeling of, you know, do I need more salt or, or how am I going to finish this? Or, you know, you know, all the technical parts that go with the ultra marathon. I mean, it's taken, it's taken me years to know like how a muscle feels and what, what's going on. How do I correct this situation? And then, you know, what do I run through? And what type of pain is not worth running through? Um, and mm-hmm. it seems like you don't have any of any of that at all. And I mean, how many gels would you say you had eaten before Moab? Total? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a weird um, question, but more than twenty-five. I I mean that sounds about right. That hundred-mile run I did, I I probably had like. 10 gels or something so that's it bro. i don't even know i mean that's, that's definitely insane. not 50 yeah that's that's crazy i love it um i mean it's also sort of dangerous i mean and oh, do yeah. you do you have a crew no no crew it was just me just was you and just your out there bags and this mental attitude that you can just tackle anything yeah um, i mean it was like that, but also I knew, okay, this is not a race. I'm not just going to be able to beast mode my way through this race. That's not going to – I have to plan it out, very, like not get over just, oh, yeah, screw it, man. I'm going to be like David Goggins and just – like, no. <laughs> that was not my mentality. I, I knew, okay, I was going to have to have that drive. But I was going to have to be extremely prepared for the race and, and take, ve- take it very seriously. You know. I mean- I can't imagine and the level of discipline and training it takes to slow down like you're a guy who dropped a sub 430 mile which I don't even I don't think I have run below a six minute mile um so you're super fast and you're like you're able to to hold back in in less than a year sort of modify everything about you to do distance running it's amazing I mean so walk me through like the first I think it was 25 miles that I'm sort of interested in hearing about. The first 25? Um, well, that's hard. It's, it was kind of, I, hmm, how do I, how do I, how do I explain it? It was just very, it was like a normal race, except for I would go slower. I just kind of like followed the other runners. Uh, okay. The first 25 miles weren't too eventful. I remember thinking it was incredibly beautiful out there. Um, like just the nature and everything and being in a desert. Um, it was one of the most beautiful scenes I, I've ever seen. Uh, I had my plantar for the first 80 miles of the race. I had the plant, my plantar fasciitis was flaring up first 80 miles. So it's quite painful. Yeah. So from mile five to like 80 something till, uh, the Island, the aid station yeah. called the Island. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, it was, <laughs> it sucked. And I thought, oh man, I'm out. <laughs> well, I mean the first, I would say within 10 miles, I went off trail. Once I hit some of the slick rock, I got lost and then I had to regroup. Oh, I mean, did you have any trouble following the course at all? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so actually at mile 25, there's a part portion of the course known as Jacob's ladder, which you're very familiar with. It's a, uh, it's like a very steep downward cliff. And me and four other runners, we actually went to the left-hand side of that, and we didn't hit that cliff. We went up that that steep, you know, cliff yeah, slash like mountain. Yeah, like a cheap road. Um, so did you miss a drop down, or were you, like, what? where were you coming from? 
like we missed it like we went to the left of it so you normally just go down it but we went to the left and we went up and all and i remember i was looking down to my right and i'm like man this cliff is like like (laughs) you like where i was it was like there there is no way you're making it out if you fall down this cliff and i'm like damn i was thinking can what is canis doing man this is like insane and then eventually i realized oh this is not part of the race like (laughs) i need to go back and by the time i got back the sweepers were almost there they were like oh wow you're you're just in time no kidding so you're Mm -hmm. 25 miles in and like well probably more than that obviously and you're already fighting cutoffs so what's going through your head um you know i i just was like all right time to readjust okay all right let's let's get it done like i just tried to figure a way like my goal was i'm going to finish this race so i'm like okay i made a mistake all right let's just readjust and keep going i kind of just i kind of overpowered any kind of doubt of like oh no because I knew that wouldn't help me. Did you run out of water or food after going off course that much? No, and I was pretty well hydrated. And it was kind of towards the beginning of the race, so it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. And just walk me through kind of like the first night, like once the sun drops. I mean, you don't have a ton of experience running, you know, that long. Um, what's what's kind of going through your head? How are you feeling? Well, I was a little nervous because I only had two hours of sleep the night before. Like, I woke up probably like 3 o'clock in the morning for the race. I barely got any sleep. Um, so I was starting it off already tired. <laughs> so I'm, so night one, I'm already really, really tired. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long, long wow. haul. Yeah. Uh, and b- one thing that really concerned me was that the, the course – changed um so one of the aid stations got moved back like three miles but i didn't update my gps in time so i had the old trail marker so my old my old trail map said on my phone it said i was supposed to be at the aid station breaking bad but in reality breaking bad was not for another three miles but i'd ran out of water so um i was i was going past it and i'm thinking oh man i am screwed i must have missed the aid station and i'm gonna have to go another 16 miles through the dark before I can get any food or water. Uh, this is not good. So that scared me a lot. But you know, the first night, first night wasn't wasn't too bad. Like it's all relative. Like the whole thing is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it was it was interesting. It was great. It was cold. Um, definitely needed to intake take more tailwind. Yeah. But. Um, yeah. And so once you kind of got through that night, I mean, it sounds like it was painful with your, your foot. Oh, yeah, so, that sucked. I mean, so you're coming out. I mean, when did you hit um, the island aid station and, you know, kind of walk me through day two? I know it's a long, long 24 hours. Oh, yeah. So day two. Did you sleep uh, at all, too, at the the aid station like mile 75 i think there's a sleep tent yep yeah so the hamburger rock station two hours i slept there and then it was a pretty hot section to the island um and you know got to the island uh that's where the one of the nurses put like ice on my feet and then we rolled it out and then um and then that the 
temporarily the plantar fasciitis got really bad for like five minutes, but then it went away, which thankfully it didn't come back. And then it, that's when it started getting night again. So it was already second night by the time I got to Bridger Jack, which is a hundred mile mark. And um, I was really gun ho at this part of the race, even though uh, oh I, I'd hurt my foot too because I'd smashed up against a rock. So I thought I didn't know if it was strained or sprained or what, but it ended up being good. But I was very excited because the director of the charity that I was running the race for, F and E International, um, he was there. He flew out to meet me in this race, um, and he was at the hundred mile mark. So I was like, I'm gonna get there, um, so I can say hi to this guy. And uh, so that that was going into the second night. Um, I got lost again on what was it called? I think it's called. Is it Shea Mountain? Is that yeah? Is it Shea? Yeah, Shea Mountain, one twenty-one. Yeah, I I climbed. I just ran through the woods like randomly, and I climbed up the this cliff, and I'm like, okay, this is not right. <laughs> climbed down. I had to wait for another runner to come by, and I yelled, and then finally ambled my way over to him. Uh, and then I remember there was a very steep part of the cliff, like at mile hundred and like fifteen or hundred and twenty somewhere around there. And, like, every single step, I'd take one step at a time. My nose was bleeding. I was, like, gasping for air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the climb was brutal. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, working your way to Shea. I thought my quads were done. Like, I, yeah. it was a lot. It was rough. For me, it wasn't too much my quads. It was just I couldn't breathe. I'd never been at that altitude before, and I've never really been in a desert. So, like. It's a whole different yeah, man. <laughs> whole, whole different level. I mean, I have altitude at least, um, so I I can't imagine gasping for air there. And so, and, and the air was super dry, and I had a nosebleed also for the first time ever. Um, did you sleep at mile one twenty one? Yep. Yeah, I slept for two hours. Uh, the next section was pretty easy because I well I had my pacer, which was the director of the charity. He he joined me for the next section, which was helpful. Um, and then, you know, just got to the, just kept going along the next, like six relatively there, it was relatively flat for the next, like, you know, 60 miles or so. Yeah. Was the wind uh, in your face at all? Did you yeah. Get that? Yeah. Yeah. Did you get that too? It was, it was getting, it was dark when I was going to uh wind whistle. That's where I actually got lost. Um, that's where I really got lost because I, Hmm. Yeah. So one of the trail markers, you, there. The, do you remember when there was a road? You, you turn left on this road. Oh yeah, I know that road well. That was painful. Yeah. <laughs> you're on the long road, but then like, you turn left onto like a hard road, like an actual road, not yep. like the gravelly. So there, I for some reason the trail marker sign was like bent in half, and I thought it was telling me like I had to like kind of like go like like 90 degree like a little more than 90 degrees to the left okay. so I, I went too far to the left and i ended up i was going through this desert my nose was kind of running and i i remember i i got to this cow pasture slash bar bar fence whatever it was i was it i must have been for cows or something but it was barbed wire and uh i remember this is not right and i almost went through the fence because the fence said well, when you please make sure to like keep the door shut. So I figured, oh, maybe this was like yeah, another one sp- of those cow pasture yeah doors yeah. Like you open it and then you shut it behind you, and I'm like, 
but wait a second, that's fuck. This is not right, man. And like, I, something in my head was like, this is just don't go there because if you go in there, you're not coming back. And my phone was dead. <laughs> oh man. So, yeah, you just stay on the road. Yeah, um, it freaked me out real bad. The and listener then, knows that that section just because I have a photo of me like sitting on the road. Because um, uh, my bottom, of, the bottom of my feet were like bruised by that point. I mean. Were you feeling that and like walk me through wind whistle and like what kind of food are you eating at the aid stations? Well, I kind of ate the thing that was at every aid station is like corn, like hot dogs or something. I forget. Okay. It was like, what was it? Corn tortillas. That's what it was. It was something like, yeah, corn tortillas. I would eat a bunch of those. But when I got the wind whistle, I actually, they almost pulled me from the race. Like it was real close. They made me sleep for like, with, and rightfully made me sleep for like, probably like five six hours because i was so dehydrated that my heart rate they checked my resting heart rate it was 124 jeez yeah the altitude too is probably not helping oh yeah it was rough and i was getting close to the campfire and it was burning up my clothes and stuff and like i was so out of it they had to i had to drink so much water but eventually they were like okay you know we'll let you out but we gotta make sure you're you seem like you're strong enough now, but, you know, be very careful and everything. And uh, Why did you want to still go? Like, why did you want to keep going? You probably had, like, four people, like, all kind of not convincing you to stop, but, like, giving you very good reason to stop. Well, this, it's going to sound, I just, it might sound crazy, but, like, I just didn't have an option in my head. Like, I guess I didn't have an option. I just was like, there's no option. Literally, quitting never even entered your mind. I mean, nope. you were I just, mean, how do I get to the next aid station? Yeah, like, what do I need to do to adjust myself to, so where I'm safe enough to where I can go to the next aid station? Um, and, you know, obviously, if I'm, like, going to die or, like, something's very wrong, then that would be a reason to stop. But I, in my head, I'm like, okay, what do I need to do to fix myself up so I can keep going and um that was there was no there was no okay it's time to call it a day there was fear that maybe I wouldn't be able to continue there was definitely a fear that you know maybe I'm I am too sick but there was never it was never self like it was never like oh I'm going to quit I'm going to quit and I'm trying to stop myself from quitting it was more like oh I'm afraid that I might be have to so let me do everything in my power so that I can continue. I mean, walk um, me walk me through the next. So you you had a good sleep, I hope. Um, yeah, very good sleep. And then walk me through how you got to that next aid station, and then how was the uh, Lascelles Mountains for you? <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. So it was day. At that time, it was let's see, one day, two day, through one day, two. I don't even know. The second day was. Okay, this is like the third day, I think. Third or fourth day, I can't even remember. <laughs> uh, so many days, it's like, I was out there till the fifth night. Wow. So, uh, yeah, but, so, basically the runner, his name's Charles Johnson, and they were like, okay, you need to go with Charles if you want to go to keep continuing. You got to stick next to him. So we just walked out there, and it was, it was so cold, man. Yeah. <laughs> And we just walked for a very, very long time, walking and running, and 
These and were then, dirt, dirt roads? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I think so. I believe so. So it was it's like, like a, mile 155 to probably mile 175? Yeah, something like that. Till you got to road 46, which yep. was... And I remember going up to an aid station volunteer. It was daytime again. Uh, before climbing up to Pole Canyon, there's a, there's a very steep climb right there. And then the mountains, the big mountains... And I remember telling this station like, man, this reminds me of, like, it literally looks like a National Geographic film where you you hear, like, oh, Alex was out skiing at night, and he decided to push it too far. And they found him the next morning, frozen, on the side of the mountain. Like, it seemed like a, a, a movie, like, don't go to that mountain. That is a mountain that you should never go on. Like, I remember thinking it in my head, like, there was, like, an evolutionary instinct, like, don't fucking go to that, you know, sorry, pardon my language, um, but don't, That's what you're you know. thinking, I mean, can't <laughs> <Yeah>. help it. <laughs> I mean, I did that, that climb um, with, like, a very experienced ultra runner, and it was so cold um, getting to Pole Canyon, and the altitude was really high, I think that's, like, the highest point on the race. I mm-hmm. mean, how did you handle this? Like, again, the odds are totally stacked against you. Um most people would have maybe, I don't know, had a situation at road 46 or whatever road it was. And I mean, how did that go? Did you hit that section in, at the daytime? Like you could see the mountain. Yeah. Like the uphill section was during the daytime. And then, but when I went through the hard section, I went through it the exact time that I didn't want to go through it. The hardest part from mile 180 to 200, that That long stretch Mm -hmm. with the 5,000 foot, the 3,000 and 2,000 foot cliff right there. Mm-hmm. Um, that I went through in the middle. It was like two o'clock in the morning when I was going up that cliff, <laughs> wow. and it was cold. And I remember, I remember the whole, like, pretty much the whole race. It wasn't really mentally battling myself, like, oh, I need to keep pushing. It was more like, that's a given. I have to do that. In order for me to finish this race, I need to think very technically, like. When do I need to drink all of my water? Like exactly when do I need it? Because I don't have the experience. So I better be very on top of when I'm taking my water and, and when I'm rolling out my feet and when I'm putting, you know, and doing all those technical things to make sure that I was in good shape. But at that point, I was starting to hallucinate pretty bad to the point where I didn't really, it wasn't like, oh, I see a hallucination. And I know it's a hallucination. It was like, oh, you know, um, I see a hallucination. And I really think it's there. Uh, and it was very, that was terrifying. <laughs> So, wow. I mean, what were you seeing? I, I hit that section, I saw snakes under every rock. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, <laughs> it's funny. But it's funny because you hit beyond hallucinating where it actually looks real, which I luckily, I don't think that ever occurred to me. Um, or at least I had some way to gauge reality. I mean, what were you seeing? How would you get through it? Well, um. I basically, I was seeing like, like, like thinking for some reason I would, I would get, I would go and then I would sit down on the trail for whatever reason. I would sit down and, and look at my GPS and it was a bad move on my part. Cause my, 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 uh, my pants would get all wet. So for, my pants are all freezing. My water is freezing. And I remember thinking like, Oh, like the people, the people that I was, th- I was thinking about was Courtney, Courtney Dewater and Cameron Haynes. I, I'm not a big fan of name dropping, but that's why, who I was thinking of in the race. Um, 
And I remember thinking, oh, she must have been such a really good skier. And like, the, like I'm out on the skiing on this mountain, and like, uh, <laughs> oh man. And the and the craziest part was that uh, I there's like a section of hills after you go up the big cliff. And I remember thinking like, okay, so this Cameron Haynes, he's basically he's trying to take on like an apprentice, and but he doesn't want anybody that's just some regular hunter. He wants somebody that's like tr- very well trained. So it was like my task to like go up this like go up these hills like, come on man, keep hammering up these hills, man. Could and you, the funny thing is, I don't even hunt. Hands, or? <laughs> no, I was hearing in my in my head. But, oh my uh, gosh. The funny thing is, I don't hunt at all. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I never like, but that was kind of funny. Um, but just different different things like that. Uh, thinking that like the very last cliff, I was thinking that like. I was going into some kind of cult, and it sounds ridiculous for me even saying this. It almost just sounds like, "What is this guy talking about?" Like, no way. But yeah, th- that's what I experienced. I thought that this was like some kind of I was in some kind of ultra running cult. Which, if you think about it, kind of are. <laughs> like, mean, kind of, we are <laughs> a little bit, but like it felt like I'm in this cult of like super positivity and like this is like an alien base or something. And it didn't help that the Uwa Lake. 200 mile aid station had those loud generators yeah um that didn't help (laughs) i'm like oh whoa this is for real and i remember i was hallucinating so bad but once i got to the aid station i told the volunteer christina i'm like everything that i just heard for the last 20 miles all those visions of rednecks and like skiers and stuff all that was just i just i realized that all that was just not true at all (laughs) yeah and that really freaked me out and i think it might have I was pretty messed up at the aid station too, as well. But I mean, they say if you're—I think Candace says this in the the beginning—like once you're hitting that level, it's like there's an easy solution: get some sleep. And so I assume, was there a sleep tent there? I used a car there to sleep. Well, the, the, the problem was at that aid the, the that last section was very hard for me. That the, with a huge cliff. Oh, it was. It was a very hard. Yeah yeah very hard and um i actually remember being on that cliff i was thinking to myself i almost quit i almost quit right there because i thought that you know maybe maybe my heart rate i thought it was it was going up again and i was breathing hard and i remember i sat down i thought to myself um you know oh wait a second i'm not breathing hard because of altitude sickness i'm breathing hard because I'm running up a 5,000 foot cliff in the middle of the night. <laughs> so, but, but so basically with that, all that being said, you know, I kind of got off topic, but, uh, it took me a long time to get through there. So I only had 30 minutes to kind of not, I didn't really even get that much sleep oh, before the cutoff, before the cutoff was coming. And I had, I, I had to really like pretend, almost pretend that I had everything together because I really had to sell the aid station people like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. I can keep going. I'm good. Because I knew I could finish the race because it was not like a super hard section, the next section. But um, I, I kind of had to really put myself to put myself on and think like and show them that I was capable of going out and finishing this race and, and being safe about it. Um, so it just I didn't really have that much time, but uh, I just kept going. And the next section was kind of it, it was hard, but not too bad. It was just very like long. It took a very long time. It was like twenty mile section, and uh, I om- then I got to the very last aid station. 
uh, got my my food and and got all my stuff squared away. And it was supposed to be all downhill, that last section, Porcupine Rim. That's hard. But yeah, it's hard. It's but it's hard because yeah. there's rocks. I didn't yeah. realize that. So I was thinking to myself, I'm like, oh yeah, 16 miles. Like I'm good, man. I, like the cutoff was I I made up a lot of time. So it was a while, a cut off with a ways back. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. This is gonna be good. I'm, I'm all set. <laughs> Wrong move, man. At that point, um, I didn't really have any sleep, and it was going into the fifth night. By the time I got about to the last eight miles, and those last eight miles, I was hallucinating so bad. Um, it it was rough. It was the it was the worst part of the race for sure. It was like. You can't even walk down like comfortably certain parts of Porcupine at the beginning. You're like so used to that Jeep road that was smooth, and then, yeah, I had I had a lot of trouble on that section too. I mean, right out of the gates, it just kind of mentally destroys you. Um, and I had a very experienced pacer with me, so at least I had someone kind of to grasp reality onto, and um, I would say. Yeah, it, he was experienced runner, and mm-hmm. he rolled his ankle bad. Ooh. So you're hallucinating out of your mind. It was um, bad. Was there ever a point on Porcupine where you're like, this is unsafe? Like, why am I doing this? Or were you just so beyond beyond that I, point? It was like, like in my head, I, I think I just underestimated this section completely but because uh, I saw the elevation change. But I just, like, I would just follow one marker at a time, one marker at a time, one marker at a time. And I was thinking maybe I'm going so far, and it was getting bad. Like, I was thinking that the race director, I was thinking Candace was at every, and I said this in the talk, but uh, every trail marker, she would be there telling me something about like the porcupines and this is what this kind of porcupine was and you got to go this way and giving people tours and and just out of my mind but the thing I was completely believing it so you're hallucinating that Candace was there and this was like a Nat Geo on like porcupines apparently yeah it was like oh yeah if you're a slow runner like I remember at one point she was like um and not her not for real but like in my mind it was like Oh yeah, if you're a slow runner, go on this side with these porcupines, and if you're a faster runner, go over here. And like she was giving my grandmother a walking tour while I was running, and and like it was just rough and eighty. It was just, whew, even thinking about it right now, it just brings back vivid memory, like vivid distortions. And then eventually, yeah. I actually did get off trail for a little bit. I was on the right trail. But I convinced myself somehow the last three miles, right before you get to that road. That that was a hard section to find that turn. We oh had, yeah, because you have to go up and then down again. Yeah, to the I right. Think. Yeah, yeah. We had four people that had been lost, and Dave was like tracking footprints and could figure it out. But I I would have taken a left there, um, before the road section. It was confusing, even if you were it was with no him. markers. Yeah. Yeah, there were no markers for that turn. That, You're right. That's why I got really worried because my phone was – it. I remember I looked at it and then it died. Um, and then basically I was on the right trail, but then I went off the trail. And that's when my hallucinations were getting – it was bad. Like Cameron Haynes was out there, man. Like <laughs> it, it, it was just like 
these people that I would watch the video that inspired me were like there, like my friend Ryan, Lynch, like I, they almost, they were literally there, like in my head. And I had gone off the trail and I remember I walked up and I'm like, oh, I'm screwed, man. And then I got to this cliff and then I looked down and then I, I realized, oh wait, it was a real drop. It was like, if I had oh, fall off this cliff, deadly. I'm done. <laughs> like this is not safe. And then I was, that's where I started to really panic. Um, and then I just, I started panicking. I was probably out there for, it felt like two hours. It was probably a little shorter than that. Maybe like an hour, just freaking out. And then eventually I just laid down, man. I'm like, fuck it, man. I'm, I'm screwed. I'm, I'll have to wait till somebody rescues me. Cause I don't, you know, I was very, that was the, that was the one moment that I, I almost felt like giving up. And I, at that moment I kind of did, but then not really, because as soon as I laid down, I just, somebody told me, get up. You got to keep going. You got to finish this race. I came too far. It's 240 miles. <laughs> and now I'm going to fail. So I realized, I, I heard uh, a truck go by. And I looked in the distance and I realized, okay, that's a road. And then somehow this cliff, I like squeezed in between these like, like you know how a, like a rock leans up against a, a cliff and then there's like a crevice. Mm-hmm. I like climbed down this crevice and like ambled my way down. And then eventually I was in this, uh, this like, fl- like this like big drain. Um, it's like, you know, where the road drains out, yeah, like those yeah. tubes, I was in one of those, <laughs> like on the bottom and I climbed up and I ran across the street and there was a campsite there. And I asked this elderly man that was there, and I'm like, hey, dude, where's Moab? What, what direction is Moab? Because I didn't even know I was on the right path still. I thought maybe I got off trail, but I guess it was still part of the race. But um, he's like, oh, it's just five, less than five miles down the road. Uh, and then I asked him what time it was. Way off course. Oh, uh, I think he was wrong. I think it was okay. only three miles. It was only okay. three miles. But I, he told me it was five miles, but then... So you couldn't I make ran. that turn when you're, like, along the road. You had trouble. I know exactly where you were because we almost got lost there, too. Um, and then how how was the final 5K for you? Was it just, like, you're out of your mind, essentially? Well, I ran hard. I ran real hard. What? And oh. Yeah, I was running, nice. like, 10-minute uh, miles. Nice. Um, which is like fast for it's, at that point. It's like a four thirty, after <laughs> two hundred and forty yeah. of them. And the reason why I was running so hard is because um, I didn't, I wasn't sure if the race had really been, because I had heard there was an extra hour on the cutoff, and I wasn't sure if that was re- true or not. I wasn't so just to be safe. I just was like, yeah, man, I better haul as fast as I can. And then I actually. <laughs> Right before the end, do you remember at the end there's like a bridge right there? Yeah, I ran back and uh, back and forth across that bridge four times. Just like, like, so, like I ran know? across the bridge, ran back, and then I thought I heard somebody. I ran across, ran back, oh and my I gosh. kept. And then I was like, oh, maybe I should. I almost went across the, the river and just went on the other side, and just. But you know, I figured, okay, maybe let's just stick on. Let, let me just backtrack, and then I went the right path and. I finished up that race. I mean, what was going through your head when you went through the finish line? If anything, <laughs> I know you're exhausted and hallucinating. 
it, it, it was almost like my mind was just so much in like, I got to finish. It was almost like, it was hard to like shut it off, like shut off, like yeah. just like adrenaline. Cause I was running so hard at the end of that race too. Like my, like just my whole state of mind was like, it really, it takes a huge toll on your body, like a very big toll on your mind. And it's hard ahead. to register. It was very hard to register it. I was the same way. I was like, uh, okay, this is like an aid station. Like, I need to eat. <laughs> like, I was just so used to, like, okay, we finally made it. Like, let's correct this. Um, like, I had broken the race down into such small pieces. Like, and you go for so many days on end. Like, I didn't really grasp the end. I mean, maybe when I had the buckle a little bit, but I don't know. Um, it's definitely hard, yeah. So you... You were running for 112 hours and four minutes. Yeah, something like that. Somewhere around there. Is that what it says on the... Yeah, 112 and four... Yeah, I think 112 hours was the cutoff, but then they added an hour maybe. Is that right? Yeah. I was 112. I was 112 and four minutes. Dang. I mean, I'm just... I have to get a calculator out <laughs> it's four four days and so it's almost five days yeah, yeah. four days and like two-thirds of a day so yep. how much sleep do you think you got over that whole time span uh well two hours of sleep the night before the race even started and then probably six six and a half hours six probably. and a half wow yeah. that's like almost nothing for almost five days um, yeah it's rough time what would, I mean, what's your big takeaway accomplishing this? This is a pretty rare feat for anyone and for someone who picked up running that, you know, distance running that same year. I mean, what's your takeaway? Well, that's a, t- that's a very tough question. <laughs> um, I, I would say that, you know, I, if you if you set your mind to something and you decide you can like if you decide in your mind that you want to do something um there's a very high likelihood that you can succeed that's what i really that i think that's why it kind of solidified that in my mind like so you could almost accomplish anything you set your mind to yeah and i and i almost i almost don't like saying that because some people might misinterpret that as like, oh, yeah, I can just be Bill Gates if I want, you know, like Elon Musk. You're like, <laughs> no, no, not like that. Like, not like, not like anything, like, not like this crazy huge feat that like, you know, no, like that, that requires high barrier to entries. But like, just general, like, say like you really want to be a, a very world-class scientist or you, if you want to be um, like a life coach or you want to be an ultra runner or you you want to start a podcast you can you can you can do that if you really set your mind to it and develop systems in place to help you get there and think hard about how you're going to do it and then just make a plan and and get after it and it's it's an, it's all entirely possible i think a lot of times we put we put preconceived notions like oh that's not for me or or oh those people are only outliers but no nah. like the reality is i'm not really that I did run that 4:30, 28 mile, but that's that was mainly off of speed. 
like my actual aerobic capacity, I'm a pretty big guy. I, I'm not very good at marathons or ultra marathons um, because of a lot of that due to my stature, just being like a tall, you know, my natural weight's like 190, 195 and still like without fat. So, um, I mean, what would you have changed if you had Moab 240 again or Tahoe 200 this year? <laughs> 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 or what, all three. What, like what, plan, what are you planning to change for, I think it's Tahoe 200, right? Oh, Bigfoot, Bigfoot 200. Bigfoot 200. Uh, 110% without a shadow of a doubt, um, and this is what really screwed me up in Moab, is elevation training. Yeah. I thought like I was elevation training, like I was doing hills in Central Park. <laughs> <laughs> and like it's not even, it is nowhere near those mountains. And that really just through me for a loop most people think moab's a flat course but uh is it 30,000 feet of gain was <laughs> was pretty painful um and i've i've ran in the swiss alps like i've i have a decent understanding of vert maybe not you know expert level by any means but there were some serious climbs and they're at altitude yeah. so how are you gonna change up that training well it depends on where i the summer, I'm definitely getting an internship somewhere, so it depends on where that is. So if I'm in if I'm in New York City, then I'm gonna have to figure something out. I don't know what I'm gonna do about it, but I'm gonna have to figure some way to get more elevation gain. Uh, but if I'm not in New York City, then hopefully there's mountains around that I can, you know, get some get some big hills in. Nice. Uh, so I want to end just with one or two more questions. I appreciate all your time, and I think your story is very inspiring, and it's amazing that you were able to just basically gut out a finish at Moab T40. Um, Thank you, Rob. You're you're big into meditation. I mean, you flew out to India for this giant silent retreat that was, what, 10 to 20 days long. Like, tell me more about how you came across meditation, how it helps you, you know, both in life and in running. So, so I guess that's three questions. So, so, um, how I came across it was our mentor, Mitch. He kind of taught me about it. Hey, man, check this out. Let's try it for five minutes. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Just saw some results. Felt clarity of mind. Um, then he's like, okay, let's do it for 15 minutes every day, and it'll help you out. Started doing it for 15. I just started doing an hour <laughs> every day, an hour in the morning. Um, let's un- let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, what what is that to you? For an hour, what are you, what are you doing? How do you... How do you describe that? So I, I would focus on my breath. And any time my attention wandered, I would just return my attention to the breath. So my, I wouldn't beat myself up like, oh, I'm thinking, I'm not doing it right. No, it's just whenever I found my mind, my mind would wander, I would just return that attention. And, and doing that practice, I started noticing everything seemed, everything seemed brighter and everything seemed more alive. And I felt so much more like energy than I ever had before, and it inspired me to do a 10-day meditation retreat. And then I took that free 10-day Vipassana meditation retreats around the world, uh, end up doing about nine, or exactly, actually 10, now 10, um, 10, 10 days meditation. And uh, basically you sit in a room, you, you go in this meditation center, uh, and you meditate for 10 days in silence. So every day you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you meditate all day till about 9.30 at night and uh i would come out from these retreats 
and to get to your second question, how it helps me in life, is I just find that like my social interactions, I felt so much more calm. I still have problems. I'm still, you know, I still, I'm still a human being. I have flaws just like everybody else, and I screw stuff up so much that <laughs> sometimes I wonder if it even helps at all. But um, I think it really does, and it, it, I do notice an increase in focus and productivity, and and how I how I interact with people and. And it's helped with my family a lot. I, I didn't really was looking for this benefit, but it's helped me relate with, you know, my family members and get along better, which is a very big plus for me. And there, to answer your third question, how it helps in running is I think the biggest part of it is it gives you that balance in your mind to understand that you, what you're going through is going to be painful. And instead of running from those feelings of pain, you kind of learn to accept, like, okay, this is what I'm going to have to go through. And it helps with not only the race itself, but also having the mental determination to train, which is, like, you know, 80% of the race is, like, I find that even harder. It's training um, for ultra, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep it interesting so you do it. Um, Absolutely. Makes, makes the races a lot more fun. But, yeah, I've I've – started meditating more actually finding flow during running as like that mind frame got me interested in the meditation and then i've done a little bit and it's these little things like yeah it does help me focus but it's more like if i'm in an elevator like i always used to feel like this anxiety i don't know why maybe it's just like being like packed in with a bunch of people Oh, yeah, and I've noticed like little things like I'm totally in the present, but when that elevator door shuts, like I'm totally calm and I actually can like pick up on other people being somewhat nervous or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it just totally changes um, my perspective on things for the better. So I've I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's definitely helped me a lot. That's amazing. Yeah. Um. So last question, and again, thank you for the time, and, and congrats on on really just having a hell of a transformation over the past few years, and you're so young, you have so much opportunity in front of you. What would you recommend for someone who's thinking about signing up for the Moab 240? Well, well, first of all, thank you. I really appreciate it. Very kind words. Thank you for having me on. Um, to answer your question, uh, so normally... <laughs> Normally, for most things, uh, I usually just say immediately sign up. So, like, whatever it is, just immediately. If there's a sign-up button for it, if there's no barrier to entry, just sign up. For something like Moab 240, I would still say sign up, but not straight to the Moab. (laughs) I'd be like, all right, sign up for a 50-miler. Or if you haven't done a marathon yet, sign up for a marathon. Do a marathon. Start there. (laughs) So, like, say you're out there, you've never run a marathon before sign up and then tr- do the proper training yeah. and because once you sign up it's like oh there's the goal and your mind starts coming up with ways to attain that goal um and if you fail don't be afraid to readjust yeah because totally. you, you know you're gonna fail you know this is that's the nature of sport i'll probably dnf someday you know like it's just gonna you know it's just the nature of of doing these kind of things and you just gotta readjust and get back after it that's that's my favorite favorite part of you is your lack of fear of failure like it's 
it's going to lead ultimately to whatever big success you want in life. I, I just love it. So thank you for joining me. Where can people follow you on social media and, and yeah, just give a, a shout out to maybe the link to um, the Ted talk, if you have it, what it's called. And yeah, again, thank you. Absolutely. So you can find me at, uh, on Instagram at Kalo little John. Uh, that's one way. Another way is Facebook, same name, Kalo little John. Uh, and then the Ted talk, uh, it's called who we become in the act of trying. So if you search that up on YouTube or on Google search, you'll see who would come in the act of trying by Kilo John. Thanks so much. I'll stay in touch. Thanks. Appreciate it, Rob. And that's episode 76. I hope you enjoyed it. Big thank you to Kalo for taking so much time and opening up and, you know, sharing his story. I'll definitely leave in the show notes a link to his TED Talk. Definitely an inspirational guy. Looking forward to hopefully sharing some miles in the future with Kalo. Wishing him the best. Big thank you to the show sponsors, Exoskin, Ultimate Direction, Destination Trail, Hammer Nutrition, and Sufferfest Beer. Big thank you guys. Get ready for these charity episodes in the coming weeks. And we also have Black Canyon 100K coming up. So we'll do a, a preview there. And we have a book release coming up. So if you haven't ordered, pre-ordered the book, it's on Kindle available for pre-order and it's also available on trainingforultra.com for our physical copy but we're just a few weeks out i think the release date is right around the first of march so thank you guys for the support have a great week enjoy your training